Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Thursday morning here in the beautiful state of Arizona on this August the 5th, 2021, 702 on this Thursday morning here on ESPN, 1490 AM, 104.9 FM in Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Breaking it down as we always do here every morning, weekday morning from 7 to 9. And we have a jam-packed show for you today. Tons of football to talk today as the NFL preseason kicks off officially. The preseason schedule opens tonight with the Hall of Fame game. Between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Dallas Cowboys, we'll be, we won't discuss much of the game, but we will be discussing the reasons for the name of the game, which is the Hall of Fame game. Of course, the Hall of Fame uh, festivities going on this weekend in Canton. And uh, it's a double shot weekend for the Hall of Fame because of the COVID shutdown last summer. They weren't able to enshrine the 2020 class, so they will be enshrined on Saturday. And then the new 2021 class will be enshrined on Sunday. So a full weekend in Canton for gold jackets being handed out <clears throat> and uh, teary-eyed speeches and, and whatnot. And we'll go over the uh, we'll go over the the inductees. Uh, we'll you know just kind of you know talk about them a little bit because I believe the 2021 class, the class that's being inducted this uh, this year, is is really one of the better classes that we've seen in a long time. And I mean truly, there are five players like that could be considered among the very best at their position of all time. Like when you say, "Give me your top five running back. Give me your top five quarterbacks. Give me your top five wide receivers." Give me if you break it down by position. Okay, there are like three or four guys, maybe even a fifth guy in this class that could be considered in those top five. Like people would put them in their top fives, and I don't think many people would scoff at it too much. So we'll talk about that as we uh, we get into some NFL action a little bit later on. Um, also, some more information coming out of NFL training camps, and um, I, I think there's been a lot of posturing by head coaches, and it, hap- like it happens every year. Uh, but there's some posturing that could directly affect the NFC West and uh, some other scenarios out there in this uh, upcoming NFL season. So we'll keep a close eye on that. We'll talk about that a little bit later on as well. The U.S. uh, Olympics uh, teams continue to, well, some of them continue to do well, and others continue to falter uh, as the Olympic Games in Tokyo start wrapping up. I mean, we're starting to get to the final final stretch, the, the home stretch here of the Tokyo Olympics. And the most breaking news coming out of Tokyo is that uh, Team USA, of course, taking off, uh, taking on Australia last night? They ended up rallying and throttling the Aussies by a score of ninety-seven to seventy-eight. The the Boomers built a fifteen-point lead in the first half, and you're thinking to yourself, "Oh man, here we go." I mean, look, I warned about Australia coming out and being a really good, you know, a, a really uh, stout opponent for the U.S. men's team. And they obviously were. I mean, they, uh, the Aussies came out. They showed a lot of looks that that uh, the U.S. had not seen. Um, they, you know, 
basically were holding on to some stuff. I mean, it, they took the Americans by surprise. Let's just let's just call it like it is. This was obviously a game plan that was in place from the beginning that they had clearly been working on since the games began. So it, I'm not surprised that the U.S. men had to uh, rally a little bit, kind of get you know get together and figure out how to you know how to beat this defensive look that they were getting. There were lot, lots of double teams. Um, they were getting all kinds of defensive switches and things like that uh, from the Aussies, and it was it was unexpected. And the U.S. men's team missed their first ten three-point shots of the night. I mean, literally, I was like, I'm watching a game, and I'm just like, oh my god, are are you kidding me? Just brick city. Nobody could hit anything. They couldn't buy a bucket. But then they kind of simplified some things. Coach Popovich rallied them, got them together, and said, look, we just need to simplify this game. We're going to play a two-man game for a little bit. We got one of the best players in the entire world, if not the best player in the entire world, in Kevin Durant, who's having a remarkable uh, Olympics and, uh, you know, obviously cementing his place among the greatest uh, Olympic performers in U.S. history, just in Olympic history, period. Drew uh, Drew Holiday and Kevin Durant went to work. And in the second quarter, as they started to whittle that 15-point lead down, Kevin Durant scored seven buckets on six assists from Drew Holiday. It was just a two-man game that became a wrecking crew. And an 8-0 run cut the deficit to three points eventually by halftime. And then the U.S. opened the second half with a flurry of blows that basically put Australia on the ropes, and they were never to recover. They opened the second half with a 12-0 run. Durant and Holiday scored all 12 of those points to open the second half, and at that point I believe the Aussies were broken and the game was over. Uh, the, the men's team, the U.S. team, took a nine-point lead at that point and ended up in, a, in like, basically, you know – if you, if you look at, like, the brackets, a total, it, it, that was a 20-0 run right there, right, to end the first half and begin the second half, a 20-0 run. But there was that was in the midst of a 31-6 to run that the men's team went on, which was, you know, it was just ridiculous. It was just uh, like, you know, the, the movie, uh, what was it, uh, Over the Top, okay, the, the arm wrestling movie with, with Sylvester Stallone, right? And there's that scene where the big guy, Bull Hurley, okay, he's the champion, he's the bully, you know, and all this other stuff. And he's not he's kind of toying with one of these competitors at at the at the arm wrestling table, right? He's toying with them and all of a sudden this guy thinks he's got him and he goes, "You ain't bleep" and then just slams him to the table in this huge like swell of a comeback that happened before his competitor could even realize what had happened. That's kind of how I felt watching the U.S. team overtake Australia last night. In the middle of that 31-6 run, Australia just, like, they were bewildered. They couldn't figure anything out. Like, there's this two-man game. They couldn't figure out how to defend the two-man game between Durant and Holiday. And then once they started just kind of selling out on the two-man game, it left Devin Booker and Jason Tatum wide open, and both of those guys started drilling their threes. Devin Booker uh, scored 20 points last night. Hit, uh, uh, I believe he scored 12 in the second half uh, on some really, really good looks. Started knocking down some threes, and obviously he has uh, he has made his hay in the uh, in the Olympics as well since joining the team, and has been an instant uh, injection of offense. So 97 points for the U.S. team. They uh, they end up throttling the Australians, and now now 
the gold medal game, and it the game the the other semifinal has just ended, and what an exciting finish there was in that game between Slovenia and France. Slovenia, of course, being led by Luka Doncic, who had a triple double, by the way, only the third triple double in the history of Olympic basketball. He finished with 16 points, 10 rebounds, and 18 assists. But it wasn't enough as France beats Slovenia 90-89 to on a miraculous backdoor blocked shot of a layup by Nicholas Batum, whom we're all familiar with, of course, from the, uh, from the Los Angeles Clippers. It looked like Slovenia was going to get the win. They, they uh, created a play for Doncic. He, was, he had to kind of give it up. He gets the ball back, fakes a shot, isn't able to take the shot because uh, Gobert's closing in on him, and he wasn't able to take it, so he dishes off to I – can't, I can't even begin to pronounce this guy's name uh, – Propilich. Anyway, he darts to the basket with like three seconds left, and he's wide open for a layup. I mean, wide open. Goes to the, goes to the bucket, but all of a sudden, Nicholas Batum just turns around and is like, uh-oh and swats the ball just, I mean, just millimeters before it touches the backboard and goes into the basket. Swats the ball away, securing the win for France. France wins 90-89 to in an exciting game over Luka Doncic and Slovenia. Look, Slovenia is 17-1 when Luka Doncic plays uh, for them in, 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 like, in world, you know, world you know, competition, not Olympics, but world championships and everything. They're going to probably win a gold medal at some point as he improves and the popularity of the sport grows in Slovenia. Uh, I do believe that, that that is a team when a lot of players, I mean, we saw Ricky Rubio for Spain, right, just how much better he is wearing his national colors than he is playing in the NBA. Uh, not that Luka Doncic is trash in the NBA by any stretch of the imagination, but he just fuels his Slovenian team uh, to greater heights, 17 and one from a, a country like Slovenia. That's like, there's like 2 million people that live there total. It's like the s- city of Tempe. <laughs> I mean, really? So, um, again, a really poor shooting first half, as we've seen from this U.S. team time and time again in these Olympics. But uh, once they get rolling, there is no better team in the world than this men's team. And I know we gave them a lot of guff, and look, they've earned it. They lost to France earlier in these Olympics, and they're going to have to avenge that loss on uh, Saturday or Friday night, um, if you will. Yeah, I think the game is uh, I think the game's at 8 o'clock on Friday night, I want to say. Anyway, co- check your local listings, but you'll be able to find it um, if you want to watch that gold medal game against France. It's going to be a good one. France really plays re- extremely well at both ends of the floor. They've got a lot of NBA talent, superstars on that team. Um, you know, as I mentioned, Rudy Gobert, Nicholas Batum, just to name a few of them, uh, Evan Fournier, Nando DiColo, who is a really good player for them as well. So it's, it's going to be a good matchup for the gold and one that the, the U.S. are going to have to avenge an earlier loss in these games. But uh, I believe that this team is starting to feel the flow a little bit right now. They're starting to trust one another, and they're sharing the ball a lot better. And look, Drew Holiday has just been like, where has this been? I remember watching him in college, okay? We saw him here in the Pac-12, of course. And I remember early parts of his career. But the guy has just become like, <laughs> like over the last, I don't know, like the last 18 months since we saw him play in the bubble, okay, last season. 
in a disappointing season, of course, for, for Milwaukee, but he played extremely well. And then what he did this year and how we saw him just beat up the Phoenix Suns backcourt in the NBA Finals and also score a ton of points, hit some big threes in that series. And now he is the lead guard on the U.S. Olympic team, and he was spectacular last night. I think he had 11 points, but just the way he played the game, it was beautiful. He and Durant played the two-man game, got that thing going. Once they got a lead, then they started dishing to open shooters. It, it was it was a masterful performance by Drew Holiday. And uh, look, Kevin Durant had a great game, as I mentioned. Devin Booker, Jason Tatum all had excellent games, and uh, they're going to need a full team effort as they, as they take on France on Friday night slash Saturday morning. Uh, the U.S. women's national team beat Australia 4-3 to three to claim bronze. They got goals by Megan Rapinoe, Carly Lloyd. Uh, Carly Lloyd becomes the U.S. Olympics, uh, U.S. Olympic team's all-time top scorer with her 10th goal in Olympic play. So uh, the U.S. women's national team wins bronze. Uh, it's a team that, look, most people were expecting to take home the gold. That did not happen, obviously. They ran into some real hurdles. I believe that a lot of those hurdles were mental, emotional hurdles, whatever have you, um, whatever their issue was. They weren't able to to get over the hump. They struggled the entire the entire Olympics, um, and they were able to, you know, hold off Australia in a four to three you know shootout essentially. Uh, so the uh, the women's national team bringing home bronze. Now, the U.S. Olympic baseball team has just defeated South Korea by a score of seven to two in the semifinal matchup. They're going to go on to face Japan. I think it's tomorrow in the final, in the gold medal final, um, and another situation where the U.S. team is going to have to avenge a loss from a, from a previous game in these Olympics, uh, losing to Japan. I think they lost 2-1 to one earlier in these Olympics. They're going to have to avenge that loss if they want to claim gold. They're playing extremely well. They're pitching extremely well, which is nice to see. The defense has been good, and they had a huge inning this uh, in this game. The fifth inning, they broke it open, scored five runs in the fifth inning, and uh, that was essentially curtains for the South Korean team. A beautiful story last night, if you were watching essentially during primetime television, if you, if you decided to tune in the Olympics and watch some track and field, you got to see Ryan Krauser set the Olympic record in the shot put and then honor his grandfather in just a, a, what was a beautiful moment for a, an elite premier athlete at his discipline. Um, we're talking about a guy who set the Olympic record, and that's okay because he's also the world record holder. A difference between the two of five centimeters. <laughs> 23.3 meters is the Olympic record. 23.35 is the world record, both held by Ryan Krauser. And, uh, man, he was just happy as can possibly could be, held up a sign in honor of his grandfather. And that was uh, – it was just a wonderful moment. I was actually um, hosting an event at a, uh, at a bar last night at a restaurant, and the people were watching. And, I, you know, I was in the middle. I, I wasn't watching at the moment. And people just started going nuts. People were cheering and stuff. And I'm like, what is happening? And I look up, and the moment is happening with Ryan Krauser setting the Olympic record, holding up the sign, and just a, a, a beautiful moment for, for him and – uh, for the American track and field team. So really, really cool to see that um, as Krauser takes home the gold and, and, you know, obviously the best in the world. He holds both Olympic and the world record. And wearing his cowboy hat, looking stylish out there with his uh, flowing locks and his Oakleys. 
looking like a man in charge. Now, some men that were not in charge, the U.S. men's 4 by 100 relay, which, in my opinion, is the most exciting track and field event in the world. The 4 by 100 is fast, furious, it's technical. There's a lot of things that go into play, and it all happens in a mere, you know, 10 seconds at a time. It's, uh, it's a remarkable race. However, the U.S. men have not been remarkable in that race for a long, long time as they failed to qualify again for the 4 by 100 because they simply could not hand a stick to one another last night. Once again, this is – and look, Carl Lewis went to Twitter last night and was not – he was not happy. He sounded off on Twitter last night. Um, this was one of the most brutal tongue lashings I've ever heard from a uh, from a, a former athlete and look a, 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 a decorated one at that. He said the USA team did everything wrong in the men's relay. The passing system is wrong, athletes running the wrong legs, and it was clear that there was no leadership. It was a total embarrassment and completely unacceptable for a USA team to look worse than the AAU kids I saw. <laughs> Carl Lewis knows what he's talking about. He says it's unacceptable. And it's disheartening to see this because it's people's lives. We're playing games with people's lives, and this is why I'm so upset. And it's totally avoidable. He called the United States Olympic relay team a clown show. <laughs> oh, man. Look, it has been a clown show. He's right. He's, he's not, he is not off the mark. This is, this is not the first time that this relay team has done poorly. They haven't won a 4 by 100 relay since the 2000 Olympics. They haven't even finished a race since 2012 because they keep getting DQ'd or they keep dropping the baton, and they're so far out of the race that they don't even bother to finish. In 2012, they won the silver medal in the 4 by 100 and then had to give it back because Tyson Gay was doping, because he was cheating. Look, this is the 10th time... Since 1995, okay, this is this is a quarter century of issues and bungling by the U.S. men's 4x100 relay team. This is the 10th time in a quarter century where they have uh, either lost a, a, uh, a race due to a disqualification, dropped the, baton, dropped the baton, had a faulty exchange, or just were flat-out cheating. This has gotten so bad, and this is a... This is a, a, a race, this is a, a competition that the U.S. men should be dominating. I mean, look, I know that the Jamaican team, when they had Usain Bolt, it was impossible to beat them because they also had an open guy, uh, the, the, uh, the first leg runner, who was like the third fastest guy in the world. They were impossible to beat, okay? Getting a silver to that team is no, look, there's nothing wrong with that. You, know, you, you would gladly take silver. It's basically like, you know, Everybody's playing for second anyway. You were just the first team to get to that second place. But now it's wide open. And the guy that they should have had running their opening leg in the qualifier ran in the 200 the day before, and so they excused him from the qualifying event, and, it, like, problems persisted. Like, it's, it's just a huge issue. It's embarrassing. And you got Carl Lewis, who's one of the – you know, one of the ambassadors, like it or not, he's one of the ambassadors of U.S. track and field, taking to Twitter 
taken to the airwaves, got a microphone in his face, calling the U.S. relay team a clown show, an embarrassment, saying that they're, he's seen high school, high school athletes who have better discipline and better fundamentals than the professionals or the, the professional amateurs in the, in the U.S. men's relay team. This is look. It's it's gotten really bad. I don't know what the the USOC is going to do about this. Uh, the track and field committee, what they're going to do about it. They obviously need a complete change in leadership or a complete revamping of of their way of thinking. Because look, this isn't this is a big event. Um, it's it, in my opinion, it is the most exciting of the track and field events, and you need to show up good for that you know kind of stuff because those are the ones that the eyeballs are on, and when you don't even qualify. Like, there are going to be people tuning in tonight, just casually, okay, to watch the 4x100 four by, four by relay because it's an exciting race. People love to watch it, okay? There are going to be people, t- people tuning in and go, wait, where's the U.S. team? How come, how come the U.S. isn't involved in the 4x100 relay? Well, it's because we suck. And instead of grabbing a clearly colored baton that you have exchanged a thousand times in practice, you started fumbling around with somebody's jersey. Then, then you couldn't even run properly to get into your zone to, to exchange the baton. So you, they literally had two guys standing next to one another handing the baton off. It's, I, I'm not kidding. It, everybody running like track and field day in like sixth grade in their elementary school? Yeah, I did. Foolishly, I shouldn't be running anywhere. But I, I partook in the, in the festivities. And I ran in the relay, and it was a mess. We had to hand a baton off. You know, we were, like, fumbling with it and stuff, and we both came to a complete stop, handed it to one another, and I took off. Yeah, sixth grade track and field day, you know, it's basically just an escape for the teachers to have a day off, which is great. They deserve it. (laughs) But it's kind of how it looked last night on the biggest stage in the world at the Tokyo Olympics with the 4x100 relay team just bungling their way around the track. And like Carl Lewis said, looking like a bunch of clowns. So, yeah, uh, rough one there. A rough look for the U.S. Olympic team. With school just around the corner, speaking about uh, speaking of track and field day in the sixth grade, we want to help you and the student in your life get the supplies that they need to succeed. No, not better running shoes. This is going to be a $1,500 back-to-school shopping spree, and your chance to win on ESPNTucson.com. You can register once per day through August 9th. That's Coming up very soon in just four days. So get on that. Go to ESPNTucson.com. Follow the links. Get yourself registered. See if you can win that $1,500 back-to-school shopping spree. You've also got some tickets to go see FC Tucson coming up. That game is to, uh, Saturday versus uh, North Texas SC. Uh, at 7 o'clock, we got some tickets to that coming up. Be listening for your cue to call. You guys have done extremely well with uh, following the directions on that. So thank you. Mary, thanks you for that, not just calling the studio at all times trying to win the tickets, but actually when you're supposed to. Good on you. When we return, yesterday at the, uh, at the University of Arizona on campus, there was a, uh, a press conference, and they unveiled some new-slash-old uniforms and people are all abuzz about it we'll talk about that next right here on the jeff dean show on 1490 am 104.9 fm espn tucson now back to the jeff dean show on 1490 am 1049 fm espn tucson
So in a 30-minute session with the media yesterday on campus, the head coach of the Wildcats, Jed Fish, addressed everything from gamesmanship in the quarterback competition to pizza contests with El Presidente and the Barstool Sports folks to disallowing bald guys from the barbershop. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Let's start there. Let's let's do it. Let's just start at the end and go to the beginning with this little press conference that Coach Fish had because I take uh, I take issue with his final comment, the the last little comment that he made, throwing a throwing a jab at, of course, uh, great writer and and U of A coverage guy Michael Lev here in uh, in Tucson does a great job covering uh, the sports down there to in uh, on campus and. Um, Basically, was talking about you know you got a haircut at the new barbershop that they installed at the Lowell Stevens facility, and um, said maybe we'll have like some kind of a media contest, and uh, the winner gets a haircut. And then he said, "Lev, you're going to be banned from the you're disallowed from the competition just because he's bald. Doesn't mean we don't need to get haircuts. Still, look, I shave my I I give myself a haircut three times a week, sometimes four times a week, depending on." who I'm trying to impress, or if I just need to, you know, clean it up. Yeah, I'm bald by choice. I don't just, it didn't just like all fall out one day and I just woke up bald. I think, I think Michael Lev even said yesterday, he even commented somewhere on Twitter that eh, bald guys need haircuts too. It's, it's true. I take issue with Coach Fish and his disallowing of bald people from the barbershop. I tell you what. Best shave I've ever gotten in my life was at a barber shop. Yeah, went in and uh, there's this uh, this barber up in Fountain Hills that my dad and I have known forever, and uh, used to go love sitting in his chair because his chair overlooked the big fountain at Fountain Hills. Have you ever seen? If you ever been to, to Fountain Hills, you know what I'm talking about. Beautiful, beautiful spot in town there, and uh, we would just sit there in the chair. And he was old school. He had the leather strap with the straight razor, and you know, put the hot towels on and the the, the hot lather and everything, and I had him shave my head once. I'm like, hey, Marvin, can you uh, can you shave my head? And he's like, yeah, sure, no problem. Man, I tell you what, that was the best, cleanest shave I've ever experienced in my life. That was the best my scalp has ever felt. It was wonderful. It was glorious. I'd do it again if it wasn't $45 per haircut. I'd do it myself for $0.99 cents at home. <laughs> Save a lot of money on barbershop trips when you're bald, that's for sure. But you still got to get your hair cut. And and those of us who are bald and bearded enjoy going to the barbershop as well for a nice clean trim and a good, uh, a, a fresh look, a fresh approach to the trimming of our beards. You know, got to nice, keep nice clean lines there. I can't always get the clean lines that I want. Shaving backwards, looking in a mirror sometimes, you're a little shaky, whatever. I'm not a professional, and I'm certainly not a surgeon. They're the shakiest hands ever. We knew from the time I was like eight years old or like that. Jeff will never be a surgeon. I hope you have some other plan in life because you will never be allowed to operate on somebody with a scalpel. Shakiest hands in the world. Take after my grandfather. It's nice to go into a barbershop and sit down and get your your beard cut up nicely by a professional. So listen here, Jed Fish. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to apply for membership into that barbershop that y'all got there. I'm going to sit down and, and let them shave my head. Because bald guys need haircuts, too. Disallowing bald guys from the barbershop. Come on now.
I appreciate it, though. I'm sure Lev appreciated the uh, the shout-out as well. All right, um, I've run long here on the first segment, so i got to take a break. But when I return, we will get deep into the things that were said at training camp or at the uh, the opening uh, press conference to, uh, to, to, to camp, the Wildcat camp uh, yesterday. There was a lot of great quotes that came out of the press conference. And the one thing that everybody was talking about, uh, at least locally here in the state of Arizona, yes, even fans of the school up north were giving their seal of approval, apparently, like we needed it, uh, or wanted it for that matter, on the new uniforms, the Desert Rising. We'll talk about that next. You're listening to the Jeff Dean Show here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here on ESPN Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Be sure to join NFL Cover 2 each weekday here on ESPN Tucson, which is brought to you by the Barrio Brewing Company. Barrio Brewing Company, Arizona's oldest brewery, celebrating 30 years of brewing for Arizona. I may just, uh, I'll be in town today and tomorrow, and Saturday for that matter. I'm actually going to be in studio tomorrow for the first time in a, in a while. First time in, well, since the, since the lockdown happened last year. It's been a while since I've been in studio. So I'll uh, be in, in studio tomorrow. I want to go check out these practices, see what the Fan Fest is all about, talk to some of the people, shake some hands. And uh, so looking forward to that. If you are uh, planning on going out to Fan Fest tomorrow morning, come on over, introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you, talk with you, shake your hand, and uh, thank you for listening. We appreciate your time here uh, listening. We know you have options, and uh, although you have no local options, there are plenty of other options out there, and we appreciate you choosing this one right here on ESPN Tucson with the Jeff Dean Show every weekday from 7 to 9. The... New Year, New Threads tweets appeared on Twitter yesterday, and everything went haywire from there. Hashtag Desert Rising, as they're calling these new iteration of the old Desert Swarm uniforms, were unveiled yesterday. <clears throat> they had done a photo shoot out in the uh, out in the Catalinas, it looked like. And, man, are these things... To use a term that the kids are using these days that I should not be, but I'm going to do it anyways, these are straight fire. Is that, did I say that right, Mary? Mary's a lot younger than I am, and she's a lot more hip than I am. So straight fire, I believe, is the, the term that is being used for these, uh, for these uniforms. Or maybe that was like last week, and I'm just I'm too far gone on those. Regardless, these things are awesome. And I applaud wholeheartedly the the work that was done by the coaching staff and the administration to get these things turned around and uh, gotten to Nike and said, this is what we want, okay? Because a lot of times, look, in dealing with Nike, when especially for basketball, okay, basketball, Arizona has had very little say in the way their uniforms look. Nike, because... Uh, because we're a Nike elite school for basketball, one of the, the six Nike elite schools in the entire country. Um, the, the folks over at Nike say, we want you to wear these. This is the new stuff. We're gonna, you're going to wear these. And Arizona basketball has just been like, okay. But Arizona football has had their choice of, of things of what they want to wear for the most part. Um, and uh, un- much like the, uh, the evil guy from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, 
they had chosen poorly. Now, Jed Fish shows up, a la Indiana Jones, grabbing the correct cup, the, the grail, if you will, the holy grail, the wooden cup of a carpenter inside the, the tomb of the, uh, uh, with, with the, the, old, the, the old guy, the old knight sitting in there guarding the, the grail. And Jet Fish has chosen wisely because these uniforms are bomb. Like, it, it, I, I took one look at it and immediately got, like, all the feels in the world from these things. Like, just looking at the pictures and then seeing the video, I, I, I mean, I, I know I tweeted out yesterday, I wanted to go run through a brick wall for the guy. Like, I got pumped. I was having a little lunch and uh, was just sitting there kind of just flicking through Twitter, just seeing what kind of uh, nonsense the idiots on Twitter were up to, and saw the, saw the video, and I was like, dude, I'm ready to go. Like, I was ready to take, to take a, a pre-workout and go run through a brick wall for Jed Fish. Like, these, these uniforms, that, that, uh, that video that they put out, man, that was inspiring. And look, we, look, we get these things every year, right? You always see these. The, the marketing team does a phenomenal job of gearing up for the season and getting people pumped up. This was like real, like real talk, real, like this is, this was awe-inspiring. And seeing these uniforms and the jerseys, the way they, the way they got done, they are classic. They are sharp. The contrast in colors are beautiful. The helmets look amazing. Uh, and it's going to be simple. It's going to be simple. I, look, I'm all about keeping things simple, keeping them pur- purposeful, clean and purposeful. Like that, when I had when I had my meetings in returning back to ESPN uh, Tucson, and I had the meetings with the brass and the bosses and all that stuff, and I said, I want everything to be clean and purposeful. Like, that's that's my thing, okay? I'm a perfectionist. Things I, I, I expect perfection out of myself, but from everybody else that I work with, I want things to be clean, and I want them to be purposeful, okay? That's all I ask. These uniforms have delivered on those types of expectations when I didn't even ask for them, obviously. Nobody cares what I think. Uh, but these uniforms are awesome, and, and I just I, I love them, and I can't wait to see them out there on the field. I can't wait to actually, like, see them. Like, because where I sit in my perch during the games for, you know, in the PA deck, uh, I have a spotter, Matt, my spotter, who does a phenomenal job for us. Um, he has my super binoculars. We call them the super binoculars because you can literally, like, you can, you can you, you see the, you know, the, the, what's written on the shoelaces of the players with my binoculars that I give to Matt to use for the game. I'm left up there just naked eyes, and I'm getting older, and things far away from me are a little blurry. And for, like, the last three years, uh, I couldn't read the numbers. I couldn't read the names. I'm like, dude, I don't know who that was. And if the spotter missed something or, if, you know, if I wanted to look something for something specific, I couldn't see it. And I'm thankful for these uniforms because based on the size of the, the lettering, the numbering, the font that they use, the contrast and the colors, I will easily be able to see that. So it's a practical thing for me as well. And it's going to work out great. And I, the, the reaction from the fans yesterday was off the charts. I was out in, uh, I was in, uh, uh, in Phoenix last night, as I mentioned, hosting an event. And, look, I'm not going to lie. There were a ton of Arizona State fans in this bar. They're just they're – just, they're everywhere up here. It's like, a, it's like a disease. Okay? They're everywhere. 
And a lot of them understand my allegiance. They know, you know, wh- who, who I'm with. They know who I roll with. They know what I do for a living. Uh, and a lot of them wanted to stop and talk with me after the event about some things, and they want to talk foot. They always want to talk football and basketball. The the first topic out of their mouths, every single one of them. I'm not kidding. Every single one of these people. There must have been 35 of them. All wanted to talk about how much they love the new uniforms. They're like, dude, those uniforms are awesome. Like, I didn't think I would like a, a U of A uniform, but those things are those things are you know badass. I agree. They are badass. Again, nobody's going to care if this team goes out and loses by six touchdowns on September fourth, though. All that goes away. Uniforms look like crap. Team looks like crap. Right? We we all know how that goes, especially in a a community that's as um, influenced as the Tucson community is to, for wins and losses. We'll just put it that way. Fans are very highly influenced in that community when it comes to W's and L's in the uh, in the games. So back to Jed Fish's press conference yesterday. In a, it, it was a 30-minute session. Uh, he answered a lot of questions from the media, and there was obviously a lot of questions about the quarterback position, the, you know, the, the competition there. He basically said, look, I haven't seen Jordan McLeod, who's the transfer from South Florida, because I haven't even seen him throw a football except on television. So he has, you know, the, the guys are the better ones to ask because these guys have actually played catch with him. Some of our receivers have played catch with him. They, you know, they know how he throws a football. I haven't seen him throw a football yet. He won't, he won't see Jordan McLeod throw a football until Friday <laughs> at the practice. Um, I like what he said, though. He said he doesn't get into the whole gamesmanship thing. He doesn't do that. He basically told his quarterback room, this is an open competition. The player who grasps the, play cl- the, the, uh, the, the playbook first and who shows a better command of the offense is going to win the starting job. Now, when asked about that playbook, Will Plummer, uh, of course, the, the returning quarterback on this year's uh, on this year's squad, said that uh, the wristbands are about there's about 200 plays on the wristband. And when asked why there's that many, he basically said because they couldn't put 201 on the wristband. <laughs> it's like you know, look, this is a this is a full on West Coast style offense. If you, I'll just put it in comparison, okay, and. and this will be confirmed probably in a, in a couple of weeks when we see some of the features starting to be imp, you know placed onto the field during uh, during first team reps. If you're familiar with the way the 49ers play offense and the Kyle Shanahan style of offense, okay, where it's a power running game which features tight ends, it features uh, you know moving parts on the offensive line, a lot of zone uh, a lot of zone blocking, but also plenty of moving, and you, uh, you're you going to employ a fullback or an H-back in many situations to give you that power lead, okay? You're also going to run a very, it's it's an articulate but safe route tree in the, in, the passing, in the passing game, if that makes sense. They're not going to be throwing bombs all the way down the field. They're not going to go four wide, you know, three outside the numbers and a slot guy going, running nines down the field all the time, okay? This is going to be a very calculated and a very complex route tree that is also very conservative and safe. Okay? And, look, there will be opportunities to take shots down the field. There always are. But they're going to have to set those up with the running game and with the precision passing game. It's very much a West Coast style with a power run, uh, with, with a power run 
uh, you know, accent, uh, you know, uh, an emphasis on the power running game, which is a beautiful offense when executed properly and if you're not turning the ball over. As long as you don't turn the ball over, you're going to keep moving the sticks with this type of offense. And when you get talented players like Arizona has in the, in the backfield, uh, talented tight end, and you have a very talented wide receiver room, they're going to have plenty of targets and plenty of options to give the ball to. So it's going to be important for the starting quarterback at Arizona to be able to distribute the offense, not be the offense. This is not Khalil Tate's. Uh, this is not Rich Rodriguez's offense where the quarterback generates 75% of the offense and everybody else is picking up the scraps. Okay? This is going to be the, the opposite, basically. And if you have a guy like Jordan McLeod as your starting, run, as your starting quarterback, it gives you essentially another running back look, right? I don't know how much running he'll do with, with this offense. If he does win it out and it looks like uh, he's, you know, if it looks like he's going to be more comfortable in not off-schedule plays, but keeping the ball in his hands for running, they'll, they'll adjust accordingly. But I think with the talent they have at running back and wide receiver, it's going to be better for whichever quarterback Jetfish chooses to be a distributor, not the lead uh, you know, bell cow of the offense, so to speak. He also spoke about the, uh, the, the health of the players. He expects 118 healthy players to open camp on Friday and mentioned that 115 of them were vaccinated. So great news there. We're going to take a timeout when we return more from the open, the open uh, media session yesterday with Jed Fish as he talked about some other things, especially in recruiting and NIL uh, opportunities for Arizona players. That's coming up next year. You're listening to The Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. More of The Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Stay tuned. Those, uh, those FC Tucson tickets could be mentioned at any moment. Be ready to be the uh, the caller that we ask for when we give the cue to call. It could happen at any moment. When asked about his message to his players about name, image, and likeness, Coach Jed Fish was very direct to the point. And I think that he was spot on in this assessment of it, even as, as cruel as it may have sounded. And I don't think it sounded cruel at all, but some people have, have said, oh, that's a little bit harsh. He said, quote, you better win or no one will care. And you'd better be good as a player or no one will pay you. That's as simplified and as honest as it gets, and that's as real as it gets. It doesn't get any more real than that. If you don't win, no one will care. And if no one cares, no one is going to pay you. So you better be good. You better perform out there. You better be the best player that you can be, the player that we brought you here to be. That was his message to his players in regards to name, image, and likeness. He also talked about the partnership between uh, the, between Barstool Sports and the Arizona Bowl, now being the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl, of course, as, look, this is going to open up opportunities. He talked about, you know, essentially the demographic that Barstool Sports is is enticing to okay it's enticing to he says it's enticing to the kids that were recruiting the age group that were recruiting from 15 to 18 and then from 18 to 22 the guys that were recruiting in uh as far as like transfer portal goes and having 
the essentially having that that name uh, recognition there, Barstool Sports, Arizona Bowl, a game played at Arizona Stadium. Arizona will not be playing in those games, obviously, because of the, the conference tie-ins with that game. But it's it's important to know that, that Barstool Sports is going to be around campus, going to be around the program uh, as long as this as long as this partnership lasts. And Coach Jed Fish plans on using that to their advantage, not only in recruiting, but also to leverage the name, image, and license aspect of it all. He talked about having maybe having a pizza contest with El Presidente, who's going to be in town quite often, from what I gather, um, in promoting the uh, the game and such during the college football season. And it it brings to discussion an interesting point because we had talked about it, uh, I think it was yesterday or two days ago. I don't know. I'm, I'm terrible with timeline stuff. I'm great with it. Um, but we had talked about the effect of having games being played on streaming services or private streams and things like that, and would people be able to watch what they tune in? And then, lo and behold, yesterday, Notre Dame announces that their preseason game or non-conference game against Toledo will be on the Peacock Network. You won't be able to get on NBC. And will people pay for the Peacock Network to watch that game? An interesting discussion. Certainly Notre Dame fans who are diehards and and will, uh, you know, gladly pony up the dough to watch that game on the Peacock Network as Notre Dame plans to be really, really good this year. All right, quick turnaround on this break. As you know, the top of the hour breaks real quick. We'll come right back. We'll talk some uh, talk some NFL preseason schedule as the Hall of Fame game is tonight. We'll also look at the Hall of Fame class coming up that's going to be inducted this weekend. More right after this on the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. From the Casino del Sol studio, the soul of Tucson, this is ESPN Tucson. 1490 KFFN AM Tucson, KMXC HD4 Tucson. 